0: Today, as we mentioned several times, is World Communion Sunday. I love this image, the idea of uh, a very and extremely diverse group of people gathered around a common table, and that's what we do. As we talk about World Communion, we recognize that there, there is extreme diversity as a part of what we do when we dare to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper. This is the fourth week in uh, our stewardship series. Uh, that's why Ricky talked about the Beyond the Building campaign this morning. Um, we did Earn, Save, Give, and today we come to Commune. commune. And so this idea is a great opportunity to celebrate uh, the communing aspect on World Communion Sunday where we all recognize something about who we are and how we are supposed to relate to one another is that in the process of coming to the table... Uh, we call these two things to mind, and this is kind of what we're going to focus on today, that the faithful Christian life is about two things. It's about both giving and receiving. Now there's a lot of other things that we do and a lot of other ways that we focus on how to be faithful Christians, but these two have to be a part of how we practice so much of what we believe. We start with some scripture this morning. This comes to us from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. In the very beginning of the church, they were trying to figure things out, and they did not get a lot of things right. Okay, I think we're still kind of guilty of that as a church this day, right? We are not always the best at getting things right. But what they did get right was how they approached being in community with one another which is probably something we can learn from. So here are some passages that come to us in those very, very, very early stages of the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we will practice today, and the prayers all came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. Next phrase is kind of disconnected from that or it feels like it. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. You see, what's interesting with that connection from uh, day by day they were, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved with how they behaved when they were together. We need to make sure that we have that distinction clearly in mind that the way we behave when we are together oftentimes signals to the rest of the world whether or not they want to be a part of what we're doing. Right. So, when we have a church that's fighting, or when we have a church that's, that's in fight, that's, that's at each other, you've probably been in environments like that. You don't want to be a part of that, right? But when you come to a place and everybody seems to be, even if they don't agree with everything, they still submit their own desires to the will of the community. You feel that when you come into a place. You feel that when you are welcomed into a space, that there is something bigger taking place there. And so I think that's the natural process is when a church does that kind of stuff, people come. People show up. They realize they want some of whatever that church has in their own life. And so day by day, the Lord adds to the number those who are being saved. A couple of verses, a couple chapters later, the community of believers was one in heart and mind. It's also a little bit idealistic. I mean, we realize, <laughs> you know, they might be painting it a little bit idealistic for the time because uh, one of heart and mind doesn't necessarily have to mean what we would think as everybody agreed on everything all the time, but that they did indeed see that there was something bigger taking place and they submitted themselves to the bigger picture. I think that's what it means to be one of heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but held everything in common. So uh, we have a basket to collect the deeds to your house as you leave church. You're welcome to drop that in, right? Nah, maybe not. (laughs) Their world, our world, very different. There's a very distinct difference in how we live today versus how they lived then. We realize that. The apostles continued to, be a power, to bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. There were no needy persons among them. Those who owned properties or houses would sell them, bring the proceeds from the sales, and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. Then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. Wow, what a powerful witness, huh? Joseph, who the apostle named, uh, nicknamed Barnabas, that is one who encourages, was a Levite from Cyprus, meaning he was a a very wealthy person, a very privileged person. The Levites were the ones in the temple who made the sacrifices. They They were the priestly group of the Jews, and they had clout, and they had means. So Joseph was a Levite from Cyprus. He owned a field, sold it, brought the money and placed it in the care and under the authority of the apostles. There's a reading from the word of God for all of us, the people of God. If you will say, thanks be to God. God. It's really hard to drill into our heads as Americans, this idea of uh, giving and receiving. We probably get the giving part because there's something about being in a position of power when you give. And there is something that says, I have something that you need, and therefore I can give to you that thing that I need. One of the things that we probably don't do very well as Americans is receive well. Because if you're like me, you grew up in a household where you only get what you deserve, right? How many of you have who grew up with that mentality? You only get what you deserve. You, the words we would use to, to make everything sound biblical, we would say, you reap what you sow, Right? You only gather where you've spread seed. We live with that mentality, and it shapes and forms us, and sometimes we bring a lot of that to the church, where uh, we want everybody to earn their position in the church. We want everybody to earn what they have, that it's, it's all about this, you have to do these things to essentially be acceptable or to be accepted. And it's really painful for us, when things in the church fly in the face of what we have always been told, when things in the church fly in the face of what we have always thought to be the, the bedrock of truth. And one of those things is challenging for us as we come to this table. You can't earn it. You can't do it. And we may not think that causes a problem for us, but there's a pretty good chance when we dig down there's some things that we do in our life, whether it's through the giving like we've talked about with stewardship, whether it's through participating in Bible studies, whether it's through up, showing up for church, whether it's through trying to do mission projects, that we, we kind of have sometimes this sense that even though we might confess that we don't earn this spot at the table, we kind of act like we do. It's one of those things that sits in the back of our minds that says, "I really, I recognize that I, I'm, I'm not really worthy of it, right? I don't, I don't deserve to be at the table, and so I've got to do some things that kind of earn my place there." That earning part is so hard for us, and, and, and recognizing that we don't deserve it. There's, um, there's worm theology. Have you ever heard of the worm theology? Right? It's like, "Oh God, don't step on me and squish me. I'm just such a worm, right? I'm, I, I belong in the dirt. I'm just, I'm a nothing." And that's not what we're saying. We're not saying that, that you, don't, uh, you don't belong at the Lord's table. It's just saying that you can't earn it. There was a sermon uh, by Jonathan Edwards in the Great Awakening days, a very powerful Protestant movement uh, really spread across much of the globe. And it was called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Have you heard this before? Maybe you maybe have a reference for that. The, the literal image that he paints in his sermon is of a fiery pit of hell, and God's hand holding people over that fiery pit. And it is just God's sovereign judgment, and he doesn't have to explain it to anybody. you, You don't get to determine. You have no say in this whatsoever. It is already determined for you that either God has chosen to say nope and dump you into the fire of hell or to set you on the safe ground. And there's nothing you can do to earn that. Now, now that's not good theology. <laughs> let, me, let me be real clear, right? But the idea is that recognizing that there is a God and that you can't do the things to earn God's favor. You can't do the thing to earn God's placement either in the fires of hell or safely on shore. But we still act like it. It's just, it's just bred into us to try and earn God's love. It's bred into us to try and earn God's favor when all we can really do is simply receive it. See, the faithful life isn't only about giving. The faithful life is equally about receiving. I learned this uh, kind of a simple lesson one day. I was out fishing with my youth pastor in high school, uh, and there was there was an old Bubba that he knew who had a pond, and one of the ways that old Bubba uh, uh, showed his appreciation for people in his community or, or the pastors at his church, and and my my youth pastor had been a, uh, a pastor at his church before, uh, was to let them come fishing in his pond. Right? He didn't have a, a lot, and so we show up at the pond, and this guy drives up in a beat up truck. that's not like a farm truck, you know. That's like a work. Tr- I mean, this this was a thing that was held together with baling wire. I mean, it was it was about to fall apart. Right? This guy did not have much. But he had a pond. And so his gift to the ministers especially was that they could come and they could fish in his pond. And it was stocked. It was so much fun, right? Uh, and, and when he showed up, he, he tried to hand me a hat. I, I didn't wear a hat. I wasn't a big hat wearer. And I said, no, thank you. I don't, I don't need a hat. Um, I'm, I'm fine. Right? He tried like two more times. And I thought, what's the, deal? What's the guy's deal? <laughs> I don't want a hat. Quit trying to give me a hat. So eventually, uh, he goes over here, and my youth pastor and I are over here, and uh, my youth pastor said something along the lines of, remember that sometimes it's not about what you need, but about what someone else needs to give. I, I didn't want to receive the gift because I didn't want it. But that wasn't necessarily to say that the other man didn't need to give it. And I just needed to receive it. And so I walked back over, kind of tail between my legs, having learned my lesson. (laughs) right. So when y'all are trying to give me jellies and stuff at Christmas time, if I say, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Too personal, right? No. Uh, I went back over with my tail kind of between my legs and said, hey, you know, I think I, I will take that hat. I think I do need that hat. And you would have thought that I had given him something which is what was so strange about that moment. You would have thought that I had done something that blessed him. And I didn't realize it, and I couldn't process it at the time because I was a stupid high school kid, right? But I did. By learning how to receive, I had given him something. That's a challenge for us. Is it possible that by learning how to receive these elements well, we give God something, that it's not just about what we bring with us when we come, but the fact that we change our being when we come and we receive this goodness into ourselves. Generosity is sometimes receiving just as much as it is giving. Giving is Christ-like, we know that, that's obvious, but receiving is equally Christ-like and we forget that sometimes. I think of the story of Jesus and the woman who comes to anoint his feet. It's recorded in all four Gospels, so we ought to, ought to take note when it shows up in four places. Uh, and the stories are a little bit different, but they're, they're similar enough that we need, to, we need to realize this is a seminal story for the disciples and a formative story for those who followed Jesus. The uh, passage I'll read is just real quick from John chapter 12. It's recorded like this Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The disciples right after that are uh, affronted by her wastefulness. And the fact that Jesus would allow her to be so wasteful. But is it possible that Jesus needed to receive what she needed to give? Even if it looked wasteful? Sometimes our receiving of people's gestures is critically important and learning how to receive it well. He had no need to receive that action, but he understood that she had a deep need to give. And indeed, that's the nature of God to give, to sacrifice. That's what happens very shortly after Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He gives of himself totally to be abused to be embarrassed, to be scolded and mocked, and to die. If we are not a giving people, then we cannot reflect the nature of God, of a giving God. And if we are not receiving people, then we also cannot reflect the full nature of a receiving God. We had uh, in my first church, there was a, a lady who was out in, the, out in the country, and uh, she had next to nothing. Her husband, she had been widowed for many, many years, uh, and her, her lifestyle proved that, that she had no money. Uh, her house, if you went to it, it was pretty shabby. It was pretty run down right? and uh, But you go into the backyard and there was this really beautiful like garden, right? Of, and it wasn't like flower garden. This was a produce garden, right? This was the kind of lady that if you gave her five bucks, she wasn't going to go to the store if she was hungry and buy five dollars worth of canned food. She was going to go f- buy five dollars worth of seeds because she knew that she could live off of that a lot longer than she could the canned goods, right? This is the kind of situation this lady was in. She had uh, almost destitute so we were doing a, an offering one time, a special offering at the church, and all of a sudden we see this, this check come in with, for like 20 bucks. I don't, I don't remember the amount, but I remember thinking, whoa, wait a second. We can't take her money, right? We know how desperate she is. We know how much she needs every dime that she has. There's no way that as a responsible church we can receive this from her. And in my pompousness, right? In my privilege, I looked at her gift as something that was not really worthy of being a part of what everybody else wanted to be a part of. And I had prepared to go over and take the check back to her and tell her we weren't going to accept it until I started thinking about Jesus, right? How important it was for Jesus to receive even the simplest gifts because of the person's need to give. She just wanted to participate in what that ministry was doing in the world. And I was foolish enough to think that it, wasn't, it should be used for something better. Had trouble receiving, right? Communion is a great neutralizing act for us. It's a great neutralizing act that puts all of us on par with each other. That we come only because we are invited. Not because we've done anything to be present. Not because we've earned the spot at the table. Only because we have been invited. Our God is a giving God and our God is a receiving God. If we don't live into that, if we don't open our hearts and our minds to both of those dynamics as a people of faith, we will be missing out on what communion truly has to offer. Jim Shivers mentioned last week during our stewardship moment that he received as much from going to Honduras and working with the Heart of Christ Ministries as those that he went to help, and it's true. Uh, I got to go on with the trip last year. Uh, Or in 2018, and so we're walking through this village called Talanga, and we're handing out these little dolls, these little uh, uh, handmade dolls. They're kind of dinky, right? Uh, But we hand them out, and we tell them what the heart of Christ Ministries is, and uh, and and we're walking through this neighborhood, and we're going occasionally into somebody's house to pray for them, if you can call it a house. I mean, they were shacks on a good day, Uh, and and they would have you know two, three families living inside these these cramped, cramped quarters. so we're walking through this village to Langa and uh, we're handing these out and this guy comes up on a motorcycle and he says, Oh no, come follow me, follow me. And uh, he's broken English. You know, he's, he's struggling to, to communicate to us. And we're like, yeah, we're fine. Thank you. <laughs> right, because they see gringo in, in Honduras. And they're like, money. And, and they want to get you in their store. And they will do everything short of grabbing you and picking you up to take you into their store to get you to spend money to, at their place. So that's what we thought the guy was doing. He was trying to get us to go into a store. So we keep going. We walk to the next block. And the guy shows up again. He says, come, follow me, follow me. And I said, no, we're, we're good. Thanks. We've already done this. Don't." <laughs> next thing. Same, same, uh, same thing. The guy's like, come follow me, right? And uh, uh, eventually, we come to a schoolyard. And when we walk inside this schoolyard, uh, there, there's, he's, he's there at the at the entrance of the schoolyard, and he says, "Come, come, follow me," and says something along the lines of, "You are being a blessing to our community, so let us be a blessing to you." So we go inside, and it's like Native American Celebration Day in this this little little tiny little courtyard school, and uh, there, there's all kinds of food, and there's these kids running around in, in uh, Indian costumes, and um, we celebrate with them. These people who, I mean, have nothing, right? But what they did have was a need to give. They had a need to give to us so that we could join in a celebration. Don't rob God, who is a giving and receiving God this morning, of bringing all of you, both the giving and the receiving, to the table this day. As we mentioned, it's an invitation that uh, we don't we don't earn this spot, we don't deserve it, but it's here for us, and you are invited. The Methodist Church, as I mentioned, is an open table; all come, all are welcome. We don't pretend to know your heart, and we don't pretend to keep anybody away, pretending that we know your heart. We just ask you to come, to receive the goodness of a very giving God and to give of yourself to the God who is willing to receive.